Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Today I want to talk about um, witchcraft and spiritual warfare. So I'll pause after saying something like that. What's that sound? Yeah. Yeah, what is it, right? You know, we have it listed as one of the, um, the works of the flesh in um, Galatians 5, right? Sorcery, where we get our word um, pharmakia, pharmakeo, pharmacy. Um, witchcraft, sorcery, often used with drugs. Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel 15 said, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He was talking about Saul. He was talking about when people get into a place of fear and they seek to use spiritual power or unseen power, emotional power, whatever it is, to control other people. And um, so just defining that, even through the scriptures right there in a couple verses, but also uh, in a simple form, witchcraft in itself is actually counterfeit spiritual authority, right? It's using a spirit other than the Holy Spirit and using it to... To manipulate or control other people, to dominate them, you know. Um, this can be anything on the scale from, you know, voodoo curses, root curses, you know, stuff like that, to um, emotional pressure that people use in relationships to control, to control each other, whether it's friendships or, you know, rem- you know, spouses or whatever, you know. I mean, pressure sales. Have anybody ever been trained to do sales? in here yeah I've been in that game before too like man how to manipulate someone to buy something they don't need <laughs> how to pressure them into this this membership that will lock them into and then they can't get out without ch- charging them you know witchcraft yeah ministerial hype yeah pressure in ministry yeah making people feel like they're gonna miss God if they don't participate in whatever it is you're pushing, especially financial, that gets happened a lot, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, any, anything from dark, dark curses and, and the occultic type of deal to pressure sales, you know, it's control, it's manipulation, it's these type of things. A lot of times people operate in this stuff because they're, they're, they're wounded or they're afraid, you know? They're terrified of real relationships, so they're usually only in relationships which can be on their own terms that they can, can kind of control. They see other people as submissive to them or else they're like a threat. Um, Galatians 5.20 calls it a work of the flesh that you will not inherit the kingdom of God operating this way. Um, but for today's message, I want to talk about being free of, I guess, witchcraft, control, manipulation, whatever you call it, coming from the outside, but also free, which it goes hand in hand, of operating in that ourselves which causes freedom and um you know it's something beautiful that is is written that we say a lot about romans 8 14 that says for as many as um are led of the spirit of god these are the sons of god you know and there's something about the sons of god the mature sons of that romans 8 you know that all of creation is groaning for us to manifest in this authority that we've been called to walk in that comes with the maturity um but that one def- defining thing about them is that they are led of the Spirit of God. 
And it goes right in with, you know, verses we love like Matthew 6, 33 or Luke 12, 31, you know, of like seeking first the kingdom of heaven above all things. Being first and foremost, those who are led of the spirit of God. The Lord is my shepherd. Like he is my priority and I'm not going to have anything before him and his will lead my life. And the promise that comes after that is that all things that you need will be added to you in it, which is just beautiful and wonderful. Sounds too good to be true, but it's not. It is the gospel. And there's this reality of this battle for control where the spirit of the Lord is, there's actually liberty, right? Second Corinthians uh, 3.17. It's like there's liberty, there's freedom, and we're transformed into the image of God by the image of God from glory to glory into the same. Whereas this cap and this control kind of seeks to come and look for fear, compromise, and try to steer people's lives in a way that is not kingdom first you know try to get them in a place of fear or mistrust in God in other words that they'll get in their own flesh and their own soul power and try to accomplish the things sometimes even the things God's given them to do and it always blows up but um you know there's a story I've called it um it's, it's like the most ancient war. I mean, it's come all the way from Genesis, all the way. It's, it's in the book of Revelation even, you know what I'm saying? The spirit of the, of the fear of the Lord, the reality of God being led of the spirit of God into all truth and freedom versus that spirit which is of control and doubt and fear and manipulation. And I've termed it the witch and the prophet. This theme that stretches throughout our whole Bible of the witch versus the prophet. It's like these two supernatural people that are gifted, that are empowered, that are imagers of God, one who's trusting in the grace of God and the, and the reality of God's power and strength for their life, and the other one who's, who's motivated by fear and control and wants to actually do things in a different way. And I think there's no one better, I mean, there's probably a few better, than one of my favorite characters in the Bible, whose name actually means, it literally comes down to seek first the kingdom above all things. His name literally means the Lord is Jehovah or is Yahweh and his name is Elijah man and he was um, he's a, a very interesting character we see him in the New Testament as well we see the spirit of Elijah prophesied coming in the New Testament we see him on a mountain talking with Jesus and it's like that dude's been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years <laughs> what's he up there talking to Jesus him and Moses you know what I mean he's obviously a big deal but he's an incredible character in the Old Testament so I'm going to start off in this concept of being free from the emotional pressures and, and, and trap of being in the works of the flesh, what we would call manipulation, witchcraft, all that yucky kind of stuff, and walking in the fear of the Lord through the story of the life of a man named Elijah. And I'm going to kind of cliff notes it. We'll start in 1 Kings 17, maybe a few verses in 16. And instead of reading it, just because I don't want to take a lot of time, I want to just kind of deliver the information and let you guys are, uh, um, you know, process what you need. But I want to talk about the state of the kingdom of Israel when Elijah comes onto the scene. And it's, it's something we've, we've said a lot. And if you've read the Old Testament, it literally looks like a, a zigzag roller coaster of constantly. We're going up. We're doing good. We're following God and we're having victory. We're confident. We're doing well. We're going bad. And we're allowing other gods and other cultures to influence us. And we're losing the culture of heaven. And we're not seeking the kingdom first. Then we're making partnerships with other people groups who are aligned with other gods, bring into our nation. Then we get into a real big trouble and we cry out to God and he delivers us and we go back to the good spot and then we go back. You know, it's just kind of zigzag and zig. And so this one is, um, there was a king named Ahab 
And what they would do a lot of times, a lot of the, the marriages, the way they were arranged by kings and stuff in those days, is in order to kind of have a peace treaty with another people group, even though they were the promised land people, God's people, and were called to be fruitful and multiply, and he was going to take care of them. But because of their fear of other people group, they would make partnerships that had many bad strings attached in order to make, cause their needs to be met, which is just like textbook manipulation. You know what I mean? Allowing a string to be attached because it actually gives us comfort or peace, but not knowing, hey, if that string's attached, they're going to be able to grab the steering wheel whenever they see it's fit to grab. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, so what's going on in this, in this scenario is he, he marries a lady who becomes quite infamous. She's a priestess witch. Her name is Jezebel um, from another kingdom. And it says uh, he went and he actually served Baal, you know, which literally is, is, a, is a title that is often associated with Satan himself. And he, and he worshipped him. And he sets up altars for Baal um, in the temple of Baal that he had built in, in Samaria. And Ahab, he take, Ahab takes wooden images and he does all things that it says provoke the Lord of Israel to anger. Which is really is like, hey, you're on the top of the, of the kingdom leading my people. And you're aligning them with something that's dark. And you're opening my people, my kids, my family up to the assault of these bad guys because of your fear and lust and perversion. And so he sets up these idols, he brings this idol worship and he brings these other gods into the nation of Israel. You know, the Baals, Baal himself, the god of the weather, because the man, they really needed him, you know, because it's like they don't have a sprinkler system, did they? Right? You know, they needed him, they needed him to take care of their stuff to cause them to be, to be blessed, to be safe from Israel. From, you know, uh, Jezebel's family and the kingdoms that surrounded them. Um, the Ashtoreths, the, you know, another demonic god. I, everyone talks about a Jezebel spirit. I wonder if it's more of an Ashtoreth spirit or whatever. I don't, you know, who knows? It's, it is what it is. But um, the reality is he makes all these partnerships. And there was, some, there was stuff that was so wicked that was happening in the land in those days. It says in 1 Kings 16.34 that in his days, this guy named Hiel of of Bethel rebuilt Jericho, which we knew Jericho fell into the ground. It was the first city, you know, dropped as, it, as Israel came into the promised land. And Joshua had actually promised, prophesied, like whoever rebuilds this city will rebuild it with the sacrifice of their own son, which is like, you know, that call that, that's a curse. That's, that's not good. But it says this Hail guy or Hail guy rebuilds Jericho and he lays its foundation with his firstborn son. And then he takes his younger son and sacrifices him and builds the wall around the entire city. And so this, I think we're looking back in this sometimes. This is a very supernaturally charged time in history. I know sometimes it's, it's hard to get our American, it's not even American, it's just our 21st century mind in the world around the level of demonic connection and inspiration and infiltration that was, that was used in those days, you know. But you got people that are making dark packs and promises. I mean, there was a guy when Israel conquered um, Jericho, there was one man of the people of Israel who, who stole one of the cloaks that was there that he wasn't supposed to have in the book of Joshua. But it was something from the priests of Shinar that actually had to do with the Tower of Babel, which we know is a stargate to open up demonic stuff into the earth as well. And it caused Israel to, you know, there was, there was so many... 
I think we think of these people almost like Stone Age guys, you know what I mean? But there was another level of technology that was happening back then, and some of it was spiritual, you know, much of it. Um, that this was like, it, it, it wasn't the way we sometimes think, you know? Because we're going to see Elijah comes and calls down fire, and we can, we can say, hey, wow, that's some supernatural lightning bolts popping off fire, licking up water, and it's really spiritual, but then deny the reality of everything else that's happening around the story. And it's like, we got to kind of take our minds back and see, like, yo, this is the way things work. It's like kind of like watching Lord of the Rings or something, you know what I mean? Um, if that, is that a professional way to articulate that? But uh, anyhow, so God's answer, somebody who's named the Lord is Yahweh, Elijah, comes onto the scene in this time. And what happens is Jezebel, she's taken her influence and set her religion all over the nation of Israel. She's killed hundreds of the prophets of the Lord. Hundreds of the people that actually represent Yahweh. And it's a really dark time to be alive in that area. But Elisha, or Elijah, I'm sorry, with a J, shows up, and he's just such a bad dude. He was a boogeyman to these guys. He just really was, you know. They said he was a hairy man, you know. He wore a hairy garment. John the Baptist's outfit was his outfit, that strange outfit, you know. Got this hairy garment and his leather belt. And he was hairy, which is the way he's described, which you know what I think that means. You know, he, he wasn't going to Sam's cuts, you know. So Elijah's just looking, he's, he's, a, he's a different bird. Speaking of birds, um, Elijah, he steps up and actually releases a prophecy against the, against the, the corrupt leadership. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. Instant declaration. Not afraid of you. I stand before a higher level of authority. This is a fearless man and it's something good for us to remember. In 1 Kings 17. Before whom I stand, there's not going to be dew nor rain except at my word. This lasted over three years. He prophesies a drought, a holdup. You know. Which was a very, it was very much an affront to the, the, the plentiful, you know. It was the exact opposite thing. You've aligned yourself with the Baals? Okay. Because they control the weather, the gods of the heavens? Okay. How about I'll shut it up and, and I'll put handcuffs on your God? How about that? You know? It's like, man, that's a, that's a smack. But the word of the Lord comes to him and says, get away from here and go, and go hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. There's that mystical river. And you'll live there and you'll drink from the brook as I've commanded ravens to feed you. And, I've, and so according to the word of the Lord, he goes to the brook and the ravens would bring him uh, bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. That's a crazy little story, but it's in our Bible. So here's these ravens, an unclean bird, by the way, you know, who are like his waiters, you know, DoorDash birds, something, you know, is that what y'all do? You know, so they're like, here's your beer today, you know what I mean? I don't know, they weren't talking, okay, so I just saucing that up a little bit. But, you know, they're bringing him his food. It's just ridiculous, and he's drinking by the book of He's a fugitive for three and a half years. He's released this word, so Ahab's released people all over the kingdom, all over that land, and the countries around him, put a bounty on his head, and they can't find him. So he's supernaturally, he's hidden. You know, 
he gets to the point through chapter 17, there's some cool things that he steps into, and it's very, it's worth talking about, but because we're making a point today, I'm going to move forward. Um, it comes to pass that the word of the Lord comes to him, and it says, all right, go, go, now it's time, go show yourself to Ahab. Go show yourself to the king. He's been, he's been hunted for three years, three and a half years, and it's like, go talk to him now. So Elijah, not being the coward, being, being incredibly, incredibly ready to rock, steps up, and he's like, all right, I'll go talk to him. He goes to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe fa famine in, in Samaria because of him. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, one of his servants, who actually feared the Lord. And the backstory of Obadiah is Obadiah had hidden a bunch of the prophets in caves. I think like a hundred of them. It's right here in the text. But he, he hides them because while Jezebel, as it says, massacred the prophets, he take, he'd taken 100 of the prophets and hidden them in caves and had fed them with bread and water. So you got the ravens feeding bread and water to Elijah by a brook. And then you got Obadiah who's stashed away a couple sets of 50 prophets in the caves because Jezebel has like murdered all the rest. She slowly with her control... And, and manipulation, her grasp over the kingdom is cutting out everybody who could actually represent the actual word of the Lord. She hates the word of the Lord. She hates communication. She hates people knowing God for themselves. Absolutely despises it. Um, and so anyhow, um, Obadiah is basically a good guy. He's a mole in the bad guy's house. <laughs> but... He's still going to actually look for springs of water. He's, he's going to look at those things. He was on his way, it says in 1 Kings um, 18, verse 7, that Elijah shows up in front of Obadiah. So there's the boogeyman right there. <laughs> and he's like, is that you? And Elijah says, it's me. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. I love it. He doesn't even say, I'm here. He speaks in the third person. <laughs> tell him Elijah's here. You know, I just, I don't know, man. That's just kind of cool, this weird-looking dude. Tell him Elijah is here. And he says, Obadiah's like, have I sinned? Like, like you, this is a setup. You're, gonna, you're telling me to go tell him that. And he says, there's no nation or kingdom where my master hasn't sent someone to hunt for you. And every time he goes someplace and people say that he's not here, he makes them take an oath even the other kingdoms and nations, that they can't find you. In other words, he's putting pressure on other kingdoms to attack them, let alone wants to kill you. And now I'm going to go, I love this in verse 12, he's like, I'm going to go tell him that I found you, and then the Spirit of the Lord's going to catch you away and hide you, because he knew he was something else. He was, he was on a different level, man. He's like, the Spirit of the Lord's going to catch you away, and then he's going to show up, and it's going to be on me. And he's like, hey, was it not reported to you what I've been doing? I hit 100, 100 of the Lord's men, and, and I've been feeding them. I took care of them. And now you say, go tell your master, master Elijah's here. He'll kill me. You know what I mean? I love that verse. And now you want to say, go tell your master Elijah's here. I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's what you want me to say? No. But Elijah says, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. There it is again. There's connection and there's confidence between someone who has a secret relationship to the Lord. Yeah. The veil was torn. This is, there's nothing, you cannot separate this from Christianity. It's for us. 
So yeah, so he's like, yeah, so you want to say this? Tell him I'm, tell him I'm going to be here. So Obadiah goes and meets with him and he tells him. And so obviously Ahab comes and meets Elijah, you know. And when he sees Elijah, this is called projection and accusation. He says, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Another manipulative tactic, you know, to not take ownership, but to say that you're the one causing the issue to get you to defend yourself of not being something that you're definitely not and get you in the swirl of confusion to swirl around around around. Yeah, no. But uh, so anyhow, Elijah doesn't fall for it. He says, I have not troubled Israel, as a matter of fact, but you and your father's house have, and you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. You've aligned with another God. Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, or Ashtoreth, you know, a Canaan, the, the Canaanite goddess. That's what I think that Jez is, but for real. But who eat at Jezebel, the prophets who eat at Jezebel's table. So give me those 850 of your prophets and meet me on top of Mount Carmel where the altar of the Lord used to be and now you've created the high places, the demonic high places. So Ahab sent the children, for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel and Elijah comes to all the people. So hundreds of thousands of people gathered up for this showdown. You know what I mean? Like, hey, there's going to be, you know, a main event. There, this isn't the UFC or boxing. This is like, hey, this is a real God versus God showdown. Elohim, Elohim. You know. And he pronounces it. How long will you falter between two opinions? That's what Elijah says. If the Lord, if Jehovah, Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. In other words... How long will you falter? And even the wording in there is kind of interesting because it's like, how long will you stumble around or trip up about or limp around? How long will you limp? How long will you not fully take stride in, your, in who you follow? How long will you go back and forth? Well, I want to please the Lord, but I also want to please this people group, family, you know, whatever it is that causes the, the turmoil. There's so much turmoil in the body, I, I believe, Maybe this isn't what we're doing today, but it's like about how we're going to appear to people. Even on like social media and stuff like, well, what is everybody going to think about me? It's like, that's, that is the dumbest thing on earth to be controlled by. Amen. But control so many people of how we're seen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like Mikhail tells David, like, you're an idiot, you know, basically hates him and for dancing and worshiping before the Lord. And it's just like, you have no clue, like... You haven't even begun to see how I'm going to worship before the Lord. This is nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like I'm worshiping, I'm dancing, I'm praising the God of heaven and earth who's set, you know, who's worthy of all praise. But when I get into that mode and there's something inside me that, oh my gosh, I just want to unleash it to the Lord, there's some fear that says, but people will think I'm strange. So who am I bound to right there? None of us, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? It's just like, how long will we falter between two opinions and not go all the way in? Have you ever been in worship sometimes and, and something wells within you like, oh my gosh, I can't, I want to just let something loose. But then you're just like, calm down, buddy. Calm down, buddy. And then you see somebody letting loose and you're like, oh, 
No, me neither. I've never had that happen. Um, anyhow, so how long will you falter between two opinions? Then Elijah says to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, and Baal's prophets are 450, not, not to mention the other 400. Um, let them give us two bulls and choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put fire under it and prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put, put no fire under it. I'm sorry, put no fire under either one of them. So build these altars, but let them have no fire. Then call on the name of your gods, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. So it's this public demonstration for all the people of Israel. Like, let's see who's powerful and who's not, and who we're going to put our trust in. Tells the prophets of Baal, choose one for yourselves. Call in the name of your, you know, do all the things you're going to do. It says they took the bull that was given to them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. It says, so they, here's one, they leaped about the altar which they had made. I think that's, I think that's like hype, you know. They leaped around and tried to hype themselves up. So it was at noon, they still hadn't heard a voice, but then they started to hear a voice, but that voice was Elijah talking trash to him. <laughs> Verse 27, cry aloud, <laughs> like maybe you're not being loud enough. Maybe he's meditating or busy on a journey. You know what I mean? He's just like, man, this dude, he doesn't sound very uh, timid, does he? One, 850, one, you know, a king, who hates you wants to kill you, and really a king who's a puppet of his Jezebel wife, who would rather die than you live. But does it sound like he's too concerned? You gotta love the guy. So they crowd aloud, and then they started cutting themselves. This was their custom with knives and laces. So that's interesting. That's religious right there. You know. You know, really cutting into the flesh. Lord. When midday was passed, they then they started to prophesy. Did we not prophesy in your name? Yeah, you said you prophesied in my name, but I, don't, I actually don't know you, and I don't know that I would call that prophesying. But they prophesied until the time of offering, till the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered. Then Elijah steps up. All right, you boys done? And um, he says, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he prepared the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This is the point of every message that I'll ever speak. Uh, but it's like he, the one that Jezebel had wrecked, the altar, what we know, remember 1 Corinthians 10, 11, is this, these things were written for us. You know what I mean? We're not just having an ancient Near Eastern mind and looking at this stuff. They're actually written and they're parabolic. They're literal, but they're, they're something for us to which Elijah, something had got off track, and the very central thing that had got off track that she had attacked, Elijah comes, and now he's rebuilding it as the altar of the Lord. We know what this is. It is the love of God manifested in the, the, up in, the vertical beam that is love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and it is the, the horizontal beam that is love your neighbor as yourself. It is the cross, the altar, where the perfect sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice, these people are sacrificing children and babies to build their strongholds in their cities. It's demonic. It happens to this day. 
it's something very highly demonic because it's to them it's this pure blood sacrifice this innocence but the innocence was not like the pagans god himself became human and sacrificed his pure blood who was completely and totally innocent and it unlocked every curse off of us and off of this planet and the sons of god who are being raised now are the ones that are called to implement that reality but it happens this it happens by taking communion and not the ritual of communion it's the blood it is the bread which is the body the wine which is the blood the new covenant the broken body the realization that the altar has to be set first and foremost man the cross of the lord jesus you know it is not an abrasive and religious thing it is a thing of grace that we ride through without none of our works by acknowledging this reality in all of our ways and this is the prophetic picture he's putting the, he's resetting the altar of yahweh up in front of all the people and saying hey remember this man it is and and so he, he i mean it's a drought he puts the 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 wood in order and cuts the bowl in pieces and, and he says fill four water pots with water and dump it on the burnt sacrifice it's like hey we're kind of in a drought we need that for our sprinkler system and it's like it doesn't matter so he's got he's dousing he's soaking down this wood to where it's just waterlogged he digs a trench around the altar it's like well that's not part of the system i know but he wanted a trench to actually have a little he had a little moat around his around his altar full of water like what is that like that's a moat I think it's funny Bill laughed I, I mean it's just like he built a moat around the altar because the amount of water that he was dumping filled the moat soaked the bowl soaked the stuff it's like man don't you realize you're making it harder in the natural realm for that stuff to catch on fire this is a bad idea but he was the only one left so he didn't have any councils trying to hold him back you know um, but he takes those four pots he did it a second time does it a third time so there's twelve according to the number of the 12 tribes of Israel and according for us the, the number of like what it means to be a true disciple all the way in following the Lord you know there's all kind of things there the government of God this reality um, it comes to pass at the time of the offering the evening sacrifice Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob our fathers our true lineage this is us y'all and let it be known this day that you're a God in Israel that I'm your servant that I've done these things at your word O oh Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Man, that it isn't my gift or talent, you know what I mean? That it is you that are wooing and coming after them. Like, no, these people are wicked. It's like, no, show them that how much you love them and you're after their hearts. This is about your love for them and theirs for you. That's different. I know. It's just the way it is. It's the Bible. So we know what happens. The fire of the Lord falls and consumes the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, licks up the water that was in the trench. All the people saw it fall on their faces. They start saying, the Lord, he is God. You know, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Like, he's the God. He's our alignment. Um, it's this beautiful thing. It licks up. What does that mean? All the water that was in the moat, in the trench. You know, and then Elijah says something, which I was like, yeah, you know, I like this. This makes it rated R, though, so. That's so why it's not a family service. He's like, don't let one of those prophets of Baal escape. Seize every single one of them. And he brought them down to the brook Kishon, and, uh, you know, he executed them. So that's that. Uh, that's why it's rated R, you know. But then Elijah says to the king, go up and eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundant rain. Like, man, the Lord has turned the people's hearts back to God in front of your face. 
Ahab? And the rain is coming. So Ahab goes to eat and drink. And Elijah goes on up to the very top of the mountain. And he bows his face down and puts his face between his knees. And he prays several, you know, seven times. He continues to pray and tell a servant to go and look. And after the seventh time that he prayed, you know, there's all kind of symbolism there, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, whatever, you know, it, you know, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand is what the servant comes back and reports. To which Elijah says, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. I'm like, what, that little baby? You talking about that little baby cloud? Like, yep. It says, it happened meanwhile. The sky became black with clouds and wind. There was a great heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the answers of Jezreel. So yeah, so here's Ahab going, going back to tell Mama, you know, and yeah, Jezzy. And Elijah girds up, and he runs faster than, than Ahab on a chariot. It's just like, what is, what are you stepping into? This is like some X-Men stuff, you know? It's just like, just like, what's going on? Like, this is the baddest guy in the world. He's untouchable. So much courage. Man, so much grit. But, and that would be the end of the story. It'd be cool if we were watching a movie, but something strange happens. Ahab comes and he tells, tells Jezebel what had happened. And it says in, in 1 Kings 19, verse 2, that says she sends a messenger to Elijah. That word messenger is, is malat, like it's the same word as, as angel, actually. So, right, it's obviously demonic, and it has to do with a curse, but it literally could be a demonic spirit. But he, she says, so let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as one of my prophets that you've killed by tomorrow. And then this is, see, I like this because for me it's on the very end of the page, and I have to flip over. So if I've never read this before, like, oh, man, I can't wait to hear the trash that he's about to talk back to her. He's about to let her have it, right? And I turn it over, and it says, so then he ran for his life and went to Beersheba. And I'm like, what? You know, like, come on, dude. You just killed 850. You don't care of this witch that's going to scare you like that? Like, this doesn't make no sense, you know? But that's the thing about what we're talking about today. This is, this is a witch. This is witchcraft. This is on a spiritual level that is irrational, and it is a real power. You know, and this is somebody who's come into agreement with a principality, a prince, a, a real Elohim that's actually not over this country, but has been invited into this country and has actually fed itself as a stronghold, as principalities do off the minds of the people there. And so not only has he actually checked against some prophets, you know, a religion, there's something very spiritual that's being unleashed against him. And it causes him to go into a state. When you start to read, it says he goes a day's journey into the wilderness and sets down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. It rattled him so much that he became like suicidal. And we're just like, I'm over here. Like you're the, you got birds bringing you bread. Like you're the baddest man in the world, you know, badder than me. I mean, and so I'm just thinking like, whoa, Instead of looking at it like, well, that's weird. What an idiot. Ha ha. You know, it's like, it's like, no, man. He was threatened by something dark. That it came irrationally like a fantasy, but it made it seem so, so much more real than the reality he was called to represent. And it's real, you know. It came on John. You know what I mean? John got that disillusion. I mean, he's like, he's... Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. But then once he was in jail, it's like it started to, that same spirit started to wreck his mind. Like, hey man, 
are you really the one? It started to get him. But of course, Jesus sent him word like, yeah, don't, don't listen. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking. Like, in other words, my brother, cousin, you set this thing off. You did your job. And I believe he had peace. But um, yeah, and he was taken out by somebody that was under that spirit. But was he taken out? Or did he finish his course like Obi-Wan and he left? You know? I mean, I shouldn't, John and Obi-Wan, not even the same level. Greatest prophet ever born of a woman. You know what I mean? A fictional character. But you catch what I'm saying. I'm making analogies, yeah. Um, I have the most reverence for him. But anyhow, <clears throat> so Elijah's in this state. He's sleeping under a brood tree, wants to actually die. Goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and there was an angel that comes and touches him, like, hey, get up and eat. An angel came in and had cake baked on coals and a jar of water for him. So he ate and he drank and he laid back down. Then the angel comes back a second time. It sounds like the Lord was allowing him. It's like, hey, you need to rest. His body was so, so turned up. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't like the angel comes in like, hey, what's wrong with you? Like, I'm an angel. We're with you. Like, we win. Why are you being a chicken? You know, all these different things. It was the gentleness of God with him going through some things that he needed to learn and saying, here, drink, some, drink something healthy. Drink some water. Eat some food. You need a break. You're not yourself. You need a rest. Yeah. Angel comes back a second time and pokes him again. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Imagine that being normal. You know, wakes him up like, here, arise and eat for the journey that you're going on is too great for you. So he eats and drinks. This is after he ran in front of a chariot. You know what I mean? So supernaturally fast. He rose, ate and drank, it says in 1 Kings 19.8. And it says he went on in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb to the mountain of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that there is supernatural, real sustaining food? Do you know what I mean? That you can eat that can last you and drink that can last you for a 40-day period. I mean, that, I mean, that really is some Lord of the Rings stuff, that, that, that elf bread they used to eat. You know what I mean? I know it's silly. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. He's on it, you know? Probably got his book out. You got that Lord of the Rings book out? Of? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like there's bread that this man ate and drank bread. And we're like, well, it's symbolic, the 40-day, the wilderness, the stripping of the flesh. He was coming to another level. Yes, yes, and yes. But also... It literally says in the wording there that he went in the strength of that food and drink for 40 days and 40 nights. Not he fasted, he went in the strength of that stuff. So there was something of, of the resources of heaven that could cause him to be sustained for 40 days in a row. Imagine getting a hold of that. It's obviously available. It's been used before. Anyhow, so he rose and eats and drinks, goes in the strength of that. He goes to, to Horeb, the mountain of God, and he, spent, he spends the night in a cave. And the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord comes to him. We know who that is. And he says, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? As if God didn't know what was going on with him. You know? And sometimes when we get into a situation, especially in spiritual warfare, whether it's witchcraft or there's manipulation, it can cause somebody to go into such a dark place that's irrational and fearful. And the answer so often is the connection of the Lord because he will never leave us or forsake us. And sometimes, just like that Proverbs 3, is, is like if we acknowledge the Lord in all our ways, we realize that He's with us. The fear of the Lord is the reality that He's always with us. 
And what Elijah needed more than anything was some rest, was, was a perspective to get out of where he was, to get up to the high place with God, but was to God's voice to come with him like, hey, what are you doing here? And it wasn't like God couldn't have just started, well, here's all your answers. That's kind of what we want. But what God knew what he needed was dialogue, was relational connection. Because when you get in a place of hopelessness and sorrow and despair, which often is the fruit of witchcraft, what you need to know is that you're not actually alone and that he's with you. And that changes the game, y'all. It really does. Now, Elijah's living this on a way higher level than most people ever have to in the world. Not all, but some, many, most. But God's like, what are you doing? To which Elijah is honest. Instead of like, you know, oh yes, bless God, I thank you for all my thanks, and, and Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and does all his little weird things and to be accepted. And I'm just, you know what I mean? He just is just honest, which is such a key. I've been very zealous, zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel. They've forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars, and they've killed all your prophets. I'm the last one who's left. They seek to take my life. He's like, boo, 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 boo. All the fear comes out of them. Which is interesting. Because if we're watching the story, it's like, hey, buddy, you killed all their prophets yourself. <laughs> like, they've destroyed the altar of the Lord. It's like, yeah, but you rebuilt it, and everybody's come back to the Lord. It's like, what you're saying, you're actually winning. You're not losing. It's like, this is not reality. I know it feels. This is how it feels. But that's not what this is. This disillusionment's coming from witchcraft, dude. You know? But he says, go out. The Lord's answer is, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. It says the Lord passes him by. And this is like our, our earth, wind, and fire, right? Like the Lord, he comes by in this mighty wind, rushing through the mountains. Elijah's watching this, but the Lord's not in the wind. He comes through it. There's this massive earthquake that the Lord passes through, but, there's, but at the same time, the Lord's not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there's this fireball, I don't know what that looks like, comes through this mountain crag pass where he's standing. So he's seeing all the, all this, this otherworldly, ridiculous power of God. And the Lord's not even in those things. He's just showing him those things. And sometimes I wonder if like, is this part of his reset? It's like, hey, you've got, this, you've got tricked and cursed into thinking that there's a power that's going to take you out. But remember who you're standing before Oh, the Baal's got the weather. It's like, hey, look, 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 who, look who you're with. Wham! All the power of God. And, um, but it still didn't fully, it still didn't really set, set him. It says, after the earthquake of fire, it says, but he wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a still, small voice. And that's the key right there. It says, so it was when Elijah heard it, he, he heard the voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. So first he's standing there kind of watching it from a safe place. Then he actually hears the voice and he actually goes approach the entrance of the cave where all these crazy things are happening that God's showing him. But he still, it's, there's humility to it. There's probably a little fear to it, wrapping his head up. There's wind whirling around, all this stuff, you know. Um, but he, he wraps his face in his mantle and he goes out and stands in the entrance of the cave and says, suddenly a voice comes to him and says, here's that still small voice, what are you doing here, Elijah? To which he says again, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. You know, the children of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And, and he, he goes on his script once again. Which we see is like, yo, dude, 
you just did that to them. <laughs> Man, you just beat them. You killed all their prophets with the sword. Yes, those things happened, but like, remember our response? Remember what happened? He was stepping into such a place of victory that the enemy was projecting a false reality upon him and making him feel haunted and uncovered and unsafe. It's witchcraft, man, in, in, a, in a pretty profound way. It says, but then the Lord speaks to him. And he doesn't even answer what he's saying. Like, you're right, buddy, because it was irrational. But the Lord gave him the answer of his next moves. And this is so, so pure and brilliant to me. You know, go on your way. Return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint this guy as king of Syria. Hez king of Syria. Also anoint Jehu, the king of Nimshi over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Um, you shall anoint him as, the, as your next prophet, like your predecessor. Um, it says, whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And by the way, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. Every mouth that has not kissed him. And so he gives him this perspective. It's like, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. And it's like, okay, here's your assignment, by the way. Here's the community. Release what I've given you. Go and impart, go and release, go in ministry. Don't, don't, let don't let yourself turn focused on yourself in fear because that is the strength of the enemy. It's like actually get back to who you truly are, what you're called to do, and actually look for people to enhance, to release, to position. Do your job. And by the way, all the enemies that you're afraid of, if this one don't kill him, this one will. And if the ones that he don't kill, he will. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're going to wreck shop. And also, by the way, the thing about being all alone and all forsaken is like there's 7,000 people. Their mouth never kissed that demonic prince. Their knees never bowed to him. You're not alone. We're winning, bro. And here's the next portion of the strategy. It was, a, it was just a mind shift. But I love the still, small voice that comes to him because it's like the still, small voice, that just speaks of closeness to me. It's not like, oh, you just got to hear the still, small voice in your prayer time. You got to make sure real quiet and all this. Yeah, you know. I was like, a still small voice, if, if I stop talking on this mic right now, yeah, y'all can't hear me. Yeah, you couldn't hear that, could you? Well, maybe the microphone on my shirt could hear it, you know, the, the podcast. But it's like, the reality is like, you'd have to come stand up close to me in order to hear it. So if somebody speaks to you in a still small voice, that means they're letting you know like, hey, I'm right in your space. You know what I mean? It was the proximity of closeness that God was speaking to him like, hey, I haven't left you, buddy. You know what I mean? Look at all, woom, woom, power earth, wind, fire, you know, fire, wind, earth, or however the order was there, but you know, and then all of a sudden he's there talking to him, hey buddy, stay with me, stay with my voice, stay connecting to me, the job's not done, don't, don't back down from this, this witch and what she's saying, it's not me, man, and that's what he does, he comes and he files, finds Elijah plowing, with 12 year old, I mean, it's ridiculous what he's doing, but I can't go to that today because he's, he's an incredible person as well. But there's something to this reality that we can see the forces of witchcraft, the witch and the prophet, and, and it's very in a very mature place, in a very mature spot in the scripture of war that's happening there, the power of manipulation, but the power that somebody who literally never died, by the way, Elijah, right? He was taken up in chariots of fire. You know, I mean, this, is, this guy stepped into something else, man. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, you know? 
So he passed through this life without dying. What does that mean? What did he get a glimpse of? He, he, he ended up knowing what that altar was about. The Lord Jesus, the fire idol, and you know, like he comes to meet him. And um, it's all the way through it. Even in the old, you know, in the new, in, in the book of Revelation, you know, this guy's referenced the spirit of Elijah that comes before Jesus to prepare the way that's on John the Baptist, which is the Holy Spirit. You know, all these beautiful things that we're called to be these representatives of. But this man who had such courage, and we see it almost break him down, and, but, but the antithesis, what God does in his life, is shows him the proximity of being close, yeah. of not becoming self-centered, of not isolating yourself, of not being a pit of need that always needs to be served, but of being somebody who's actually seeking to release that which is of heaven. Yeah. I need help. I need, I need a big brother or sister to come minister to me because I'm... I'm done. It's like, no, what you, what you need to do is go and release to those, to other people. And that river that flows from your innermost being will actually feed you as well. But man, if you don't let it out, you'll, it'll stop up in you. And that, we don't need that. That's swamp water, man. You can't drink that. You know what I mean? That's still water. Yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant story. It's a cool story with him, man. But um, some of my points, you know, the simple answer um, of rec recognizing and differentiating a spiritual attack versus something that's actually simple and natural. And um, I think the simple answer, especially in this scenario, is that a spiritual attack, it brings irrationality and, f and fear and hopelessness. And I mean, even for him, like it was at it was after and in the midst of great victory that he was leading and forerunning. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but the brilliance of the warfare against that was that rhema, that, the word of God, the communication of the Lord. That's the way out. When you get into a place, that's when people ask me like, well, they call it a Jezebel spirit, a lot of people, you know what I mean? I think that fits. But it's, 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 it's a level of manipulation that causes some, it's so irrational, causes somebody to feel so less than and so afraid and so hopeless. But it, it's demonic because it's, it's not something that I'm not dealing with. It's actually, there's no reason for me to feel this way. And that's how you discern something like that. But the warfare of that, and there's so many, there's so much of it, but I love uh, 1 Timothy 1.18 this charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophetic words previously made concerning you, that by them you wage a good warfare. You get into that place of separation, of isolation, of everything it wants to drive you into, and the warfare of the Lord is the relationship of God. It's connecting to His voice. And oftentimes, it's actually going back to the things that you're writing, the things that you've been reading, the things that the Lord's spoken to you, and looking at what He said. Yeah. Because that wakes us up to the reality of what God's doing. You know, I love the verse in Isaiah 30 that says, you will hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way walking in verse 21. And it's just like, there's something of the voice that's behind you saying, this is the way walking it. So many times we go through things in life, especially when we're advancing. And maybe we step into a season of warfare. You know what I mean? Of maybe it's witchcraft, maybe it's not. But, and it's like, those who have been faithful to cultivate the relationship, that secret place connection to God, the voice that's already behind me, in other words, he's often already spoken to us the things we're stepping into. Yeah. And you go back and you look at even what you've written down in the notes of your phone or on your notebook or whatever, or journal or your diary or whatever you want to call it, man, whatever God's, and, and you see the things that he's spoken and instantly gives courage and you realize, hey, I'm with you and you're with me. You know, yeah, that John 14, 20, it's like, wait, 
you're in the Father, and you're also in me, and I'm also in you, and it is finished, and we're together in this, and I'm not alone. And it's not a time for me to look at myself and navel gaze and try to figure out what's going on. It's time for me to release and be about your business. And that causes the breakthrough. Now, obviously, there's, there's a lot of spiritual things called spiritual track, uh, attack or, you know, I'm dealing with warfare, brother, which is like, no, you're not. Um, and that's, uh, if, it's, if it can be traced, it's probably not warfare. You know what I mean? In other words, if it's natural, if, if it's a lot of people's warfare, it's like, yeah, it's just a result of the decisions we make, not choosing the Lord or seeking first the kingdom. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, that's just what that is. I told you about that little meme with the devil surfing on a surfboard. Everybody seen that yet? Oh, man. And it says, the devil's really attacking me lately. And then under the devil, it says, that's not me. I'm on vacation. That's all you. <laughs> that's all you, chief. Something like that. <laughs> that's hilarious. But it's like, you know, that's, you know, that's about a good 75%, you know, of what's going on with a lot of people. But, you know, none of us. I mean, ours are a real spiritual war. But, uh, you know, a lot of times it's like, yeah, no, you made, this, you made a bad decision. And, and, you know, Psalm 81, 13, oh, that my people would listen to me. It's like they go into all these beatings and spankings. If they would just listen to me, I would have delivered them from all of their enemies. You know what I'm saying? It's like if they would just listen to me, Psalm 81, 13, read that. That's such a brilliant verse. Um, but just that whole passage right there, all the way through Psalm 81, um, you know, it can be traced though. Another thing is fear and anxiety. A lot of times our, our, our problems can be traced to that. If we've been operating out of a place and worry and fear about something and actually have not chosen to acknowledge the Lord, you know what I'm saying? And we can, we can think to ourselves, like, man, I'm in a place of warfare. And it's like, well, hey, are there any issues in life that you just haven't really addressed that have been really weighing you down that you're stressed out about that you've chosen to look away from for a while? Because they don't go away. They just get heavier and heavier until there's a breaking point. So it really could not be warfare. You know, that, it's funny about that Galatians 5 chapter that causes, calls sorcery one of the, the works of the flesh. Because sorcery, that witchcraft word, also has to do with drug use. You know what I'm saying? And the works of the flesh of Galatians 5, and you guys know this, almost the whole thing of them are ways we self-medicate ourselves in order not to deal with our issues. Nothing against medicine. You know, I'm not saying don't take an Advil if you have a headache. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is like we understand like all those things in that, in that works of the flesh. It's just ways that we don't deal with our issues. We push them off and self-medicate them, but they don't actually go away. And in the New Covenant, a lot of what's called warfare is like, hey, man, if I, have I been stuffing some things down and, and pushing some things by and, and causing myself to be in a place of, well, I'm just feeling depression and I'm feeling all these things. I was like, yeah, but could it have to do with our health and our decisions? I mean, I hate to be that guy. You know what I mean? I don't hate to be. I am that guy. You know, it's just like, listen, it's, it's like when we don't address things in relationship, right? That's the key to everything. Imagine that to the Lord. Acknowledge him in all of our ways. Sometimes we're weighed down by stuff. It's not warfare at all. It had nothing to do with the devil. He's surfing on a surfboard and we're over there stressed out, you know, Shundai Hyundai. And it's just like, yo, deal with your stuff and stop self-medicating. Because all of those have strings that are attached to them. You know what I mean? And they cause us to be unhealthy. And then when we're unhealthy, our body is taxed. And we could be in a depression just because our body's worn flap out. You know what I mean? And worn down. How many, you know, what's the percentage of people that die from certain major uh, pandemics and diseases that have happened in the past few years? It's like, well, 85% of them are 
their body is under major stress already. You know, now that's a wicked and evil disease, and it killed some people that were healthy. You know, I'm not discounting that, but you know, about 80, 80 to 90 percent of them had a lot of these certain things in common that their body was stressed out. You know, but our bodies can be stressed out if we've been self-medicating instead of dealing with our issues, and so we're in a grind. We use caffeine to keep us awake and, and whatever else to put us down to some Benadryl to put us to sleep and then medicate all day. You know what I mean? It's just like we don't even know what it feels like to be tired or, or you know what I mean, or, or anything. Don't even know what it feels like to be thirsty or hungry. You know? Overconsumption of carbohydrates. You know, it's, it's what, 70% water in those things? So our bodies are dying of thirst because we kill caffeine, so, but our bodies know that we get liquid from carbs, so we crave carbs and we get liquid. You know what I mean? It's just like we don't even know. You weren't hungry or thirsty. Okay, you catch what I'm throwing there, though. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're in a cycle of not being present enough to actually know what we feel, and then call the devil. And the devil's like, "Man, we ain't had a, we ain't had a demon on you for ten years because you've been doing it yourself, bro. Like we don't have to fight you at all." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh man, you mean I got to take responsibility? But yeah, responsibility is the way out, dude. You know what I mean? There's 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 ownership in a lot of this stuff. But it's not to negate the, the aspects of manipulation and control and witchcraft as well, because that's a real thing. It is a real thing, and a lot of people deal with that as well. Amen. But there's a way out of that, too. There's a way out of coming in partnership with that, because manipulation is deceptive, and honesty is the cure of deception. You know what I mean? For one thing, if, if you manipulate, you're subject to manipulation. You know what I mean? When you, when you operate in manipulative tactics, and which is witchcraft by the scriptures, like when you operate that way, you're actually susceptible to the fruits of that yourself. And man, that's not fun. So the answer to that is just don't do it. Yeah. Honesty is the cure. Yeah. Many of those who operate are actually just slaves to fear, and so they keep playing that game. But their life is exhausting from that, I'm telling you. It's like, have you heard that saying, if you... If, if you tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. Yeah. Something like that. Man, that's resting. You don't have to be a certain person for all your different relationships. You just be, the, be yourself. Be the light of God. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, that's nice. There's rest that I feel like the Lord wants for many people, even in our own body. Or maybe just the sound of my voice in the podcast. Because all, we all got it going here. But you know what I'm saying. It's like, He wants us to come out of agreement with all these tendencies. You know, Because those who are... The mature, the wheels, led of the Spirit of God, are the sons of God that all the earth is waiting and groaning for. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's these, these type of uh, uh, tactics, these types of things of the enemy that he wants to sow into the body, and it's like the Lord wants us to be free of them. You know? Speaking the truth. How about relationships? Do you have relationships that are manipulative that you're actually in? Where you actually have to walk on eggshells or be a certain way around so that you don't rock the boat. The best way to live in those relationships is to actually speak the truth. Passive-aggressive, mean statements, stuff to you to kind of put you down, to be dominant over you and be like, hey, instead of just like, that's just the way this person is, say, hey, like, you know, when you say that, it kind of makes me feel a little bit like this. And a lot of that, just, a lot, sometimes people don't even realize they operate in that stuff and they can be like, oh yeah, I'm, my bad. Or sometimes they just won't hear it. And if they don't hear it, then you're going to have to create a boundary there. You can hear a pin drop in here right now, dude. You know what I mean? But it's an aspect of being free from this stuff. You know what I mean? It's an aspect of being so free, even in our relationships, that we speak the truth in love. And we walk with a whole heart that is walking forward with the Lord. 
We don't manipulate to get our needs met. You know what I'm saying? We trust in the Lord in all ways for Him to accomplish our plans and purposes in life. We don't try to do it in our own strength. Considering this, I'm not saying you don't do a diligent job at work and you don't, you don't hustle and grind a little bit if you're you know, going after something. I'm not saying, that, don't take, take it away from that. But it's like a victim mentality is always making an excuse and it is in partnership with those who manipulate. I'll tell you what, I had a dream, uh, golly, 15 years ago this pastor that I was serving. And literally, I, I remember in the dream meeting these demonic spirits that would attach themselves to people. First, they would act like they were being assaulted and injured. And people would go to help these people and then they would attach themselves to people like a victim. And then the voice of the Holy Spirit was in the dream and, and comes to me and stands there and says to me, look like a woman actually, like the wisdom who cries in the streets. And she says, don't fall for that trap. He's like, she said, those are the Lelim. Those spirits are called the, the Lelim. And I'm like, what are we doing, you know? I feel like that now a little bit, to be honest. And um, I was like, wow. Like, they, they play the victim so that you'll come and help them, but they really want to suck the life out of you and take all of your energy. And I woke up and I was like, whoa, that, that was strange, you know? I was just married to Nicole maybe for a year, and she didn't leave me for that one like, you're crazy, you know? <laughs> but we had internet. Well, we actually didn't have internet. I had to go to the side of my house where I could pick up my neighbor's internet, right? So I'm over there. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bootleg rascal. And so I was bootlegging their internet, and I typed it in. And sure enough, never heard of that in my whole life. Looked it up. It's, 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 it's a spirit in, in Jewish mythology, mythology and Jewish mysticism called the Leland, which was a... Which was a they also call it the succubus spirit. It's, it's, a, it's a demonic entity. You know, you know, in the books of Solomon and all these other old books. And, and, and it literally does what the dream was telling me that it does. You know? And I wasn't reading these things back then. You know, I don't know. Okay, okay that, that might need to be cut from the podcast, right? You know? That might have been one of those moments. You know, when you bring a new friend, you're like, oh my gosh. He just said something about some Leland spirits. Dude, this is getting wild, you know? But honestly, you have no idea how wild it gets. This is... This is we're, we're toning it back, but, you know, um, but, but, but the reality is it's just like, Hey man, there, there's people that know how to get their needs met like that to always play the victim, to always need help to always. And it's really, it's just like, Hey, the best love you can have for them is that tough love and say, Hey man, I'm not, you know, and then as a minister, you'll, you'll learn that, you know, first or second or third time. And you realize like, wait a second, you really get your needs met by it. Oh my gosh. Being in a place of anxiety and, oh, I need your help so bad. And it's just like, after a while, it's like, no. This is easy for you to overcome. You have to do what Elijah did and what we all have to do. You have to connect to the Lord, you know. And you'll realize people like that. Man, those crises that they come with, they don't usually have them when they're on their own. It's like the way they've, they've learned to relate to people. Anyways, you guys don't know enough about that. I'm just, just saying some things right now because, you know, I don't even know why. That's, that's one I've never told, but some, of, so, some people have heard me, you know. But yeah, I had a pastor in town tell me this um, a few years back. A few years back, I, I met him randomly. And he's like, yeah, we just had a minister, you know, from Africa come, and he was talking to us about, he, he told us we have a real Jezebel spirit at our church, you know. And he's like, you know, it's like, it's surprising to hear him say that, because like, he, he went to like Liberty University, you know what I mean? Nothing against that, it's great. My cousin went there, it's a cool place, whatever. But you know, he's, you know, he doesn't talk like that normally. And I was just like, man, really? He's like, and it was true. 
there's somebody operating that. And usually it's like, you know, it's, a, it's some pretty girl, you know, we accuse people because that's a Jezebel, you know what I mean? But I just thought, man, I was like, your way out of it's not having a witch hunt and praying and fasting for 24 hours. It's actually to train people up in your body to be mature Christians and have healthy relationships and to actually speak to each other when, they, when there's manipulation involved. It's like, hey, like, that doesn't feel good. I don't like that. And if there's ownership, good. And if there's not ownership, then take it up the ladder and like, hey, let's bring other people into this and let's have a mediator and let's work through this as a body, as a fellowship. There's like, there's like mature relational things that you do in a body to be free of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's just not like all spiritual mumbo, you know, all just being strange and all that stuff. There's practical steps that we can take. And one of them is like in our heart to be, to be set like, hey, I'm not going to pressure or manipulate anybody. I'm going to speak the truth in love, repent of the ways I have operated in that, and I'm going to choose to seek the Lord and trust Him to do what He said He's going to do in my life. And I'm going to release, and I'm going to sow, and I'm going to press into other people. You know, and I'm going to support, and I'm going to encourage. You know, and um, that was the tactic of Elijah. And um, so it's not a witch hunt, but uh, yeah, I did feel like the Lord gave me this message today, and I really, really wanted to go in another direction but I just work here. So I was like, all right, we'll do it. Say a few strange things. But yeah. Oh, Vincent. Wow. Um, the answer of everything in this life is connection in him. But as we connect to the one who's actually paid for everything for us to step into, then we come into a place of rest where we're not actually even protected for our position, for our role, for our next open door. We're trusting him with our whole heart. And we're seeking to be a blessing in all the world, the blessing of Abraham. That's what our, that's how our life is. We never see people as competition anymore. We never see people as a threat anymore. All we do is we see like, man, the more as I help other people succeed and encourage other people on their path, man, that causes my promotion, not the opposite. And so we let go. This five-fold ministry that's like, oh, clamp down. It's like, no, it's like this. It's the hand is under like a waiter serving. It's like it's all positioned. Like Jesus is washing these guys' feet before he leaves. Like this is Yahweh. This is the eternal king, man. The heart of the servant. You know. If you've been feeling some of those things, though, if you've been feeling pressure, if you're feeling hopelessness, even if you've been feeling to the level of suicidal, you know, whatever that is. I mean, I hope that's not true, but if it is, the answer is always light. The Lord called him into connection with the Lord, the still small voice, but he instantly sent him into a community. You're not alone. You have a team. Go connect to your team. And you guys be about the business together, the kingdom business, and release this life. Let the thing rip. I've already paid and opened the door. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is truth. Lord, I ask that we would be so spiritually discerning as mature sons and daughters, that we even forsake every way of the flesh to have our needs met and to even ministry, but we actually step into the ways of the Lord and of the kingdom, resting in your finished work, having that altar set above, center, front and center above all things, that we rely on your sacrifice and your reality and trust you in all things. Let your people be those who step up into the authority of heaven to release heaven on the earth. Amen.